Marjorie Lehman, the Ain Yako Jacob Ibn Khabib's Search for Faith in the Talmudic Corpus, published by Wayne State University Press. When I began to inform people about my interest in the Ain Yaakov, many began to share stories with me about their study of the Ain Yaakov or memories of studying it with a parent or grandparent. What always took me by surprise was how little they knew about the origins of the collection, it being an early 16th century work by a Spanish rabbi, Jacob Ibn Khabib. Ibn Khabib's name almost never rolled off their tongues, and many seemed unfamiliar with the running commentary that he authored. Many seemed to study the Ein Yaakov as a collection of Talmudic Agadah, paying attention mostly to the Agadot themselves and not to the original commentary authored by Jacob Ibn Khabib. It became clear to me that someone needed to write the history of the origins of this work, if only to restore Ibn Khabib to his rightful place in the history of a collection that became one of the most well-known collections of Talmudic Agadah and one of the most significant contributions to the history of Jewish literature. When I began my work on my book here at JTS, ensconced in the daily challenges of teaching here, I also began to see myself through Ibn Khabib's eyes. I realized that many of the questions that Ibn Khabib had were really my own. How can I teach my students to effect change? After all, how does one change a culture or an ethos? How does one unify fractured communities? How does one educate people to have faith? How does one help people to develop stronger connections to Judaism? And of course, the most salient question for those of us who spend our time teaching Jewish texts, how does one inspire anyone through a text? whether it is a passage of Tanakh or Talmud or a medieval Spanish poem, can a text move a person intellectually as well as spiritually just because it moves me? While I think about these questions a lot and do not necessarily have all the answers yet, Ibn Khabib was grappling with many of the same questions at the beginning of the 16th century when he thought about his community. And while I do not claim that his answers should be ours, I enjoyed being a witness to his struggle. I reveled in his optimism and rejoiced in his interest, not merely in the thinking human being, but in the feeling human being. Ibn Khaviv wanted the texts of the Talmud that he included in the Ein Yaakov to touch people emotionally, spiritually, and religiously. I will begin with a little background information to situate, to situate us all in time and place. Jacob Ibn Khabib was born in Zamora, a Spanish city in Castile in the middle of the 15th century. He later assumed a leadership role in the Academy of Salamanca. The expulsion of Spain's Jews in 1492 resulted in his relocation to Lisbon, Portugal, and his confrontation with a decree of forced conversion instituted by the Portuguese monarchy in 1497. By the year 1501, Ibn Khabib had again relocated. Along with many other Iberian Jews, Ibn Khabib resettled in the Ottoman city of Salonika, alongside Jews from many different locales who had been expelled from other places in Europe. In Salonika, Ibn Khabib resumed his role as a prominent rabbinic leader and began his work on the Ein Yaakov. So what is the Ein Yaakov? The Ein Yaakov is an anthology of Agadic texts drawn exclusively from the Talmud, both the Babylonian and Palestinian Talmudim. Agadah, defined in the broadest sense of the word, refers not merely to rabbinic stories, but to all non-legal material. 
Ibn Khabib boldly assumed the literary freedom to break apart already established Talmudic passages where halakha and agadah were often intimately linked, creating an entirely new collection of Talmudic material. But how did he organize it? He preserved the order of the Agadic material as he found it in the Talmud's original chapters and tractates. He gave each ideationally coherent section a number, generating, in a sense, new sugyot. Working with the printer, Judah Gedalia, he added Rashi and Tosafot to the pages of the Agadic texts that he anthologized. He then wrote his own new commentary, which he also added to the pages of his collection. This was no small matter for his time because no one had done it. Few had written running commentaries on the Agadot of the Talmud before him, and none other than Rashi and Tosafot had been added to the printed Talmudic page thus far. Indeed, Ibn Khabib's chosen editorial structure, which followed the Talmud, was part of his attempt to critique and reform the rabbinic culture of his day. Long before the modern period, Jews had challenged the Talmud's status as Judaism's sole normative text, in fact, in 1516, the Ein Yaakov emerged out of a long-standing debate over the Talmud's canonical status within the curriculum of Jewish learning. Its publication offered a unique alternative text through which to answer the questions that had already been reverberating throughout the Jewish community for centuries. What constitutes Torah study? To be sure, the Talmud's very nature, that is, its complicated dialectical style, and its interweaving of legal and non-legal material had led to the production of legal codes so that Jews could readily gain access to legal decisions. However, an increased focus on the study of codes within the curriculum led to its decline in the study of the Talmud, reshaping the curriculum into one that did not necessarily require avid Talmud study, and Judaism into a religion represented by another set of canonical texts such as Hilchot Harif, the 11th century legal code of Isaac Alfasi, the Mishnah Torah, Maimonides' 12th century legal code. While Maimonides, for example, never doubted the Talmud's significance as a work of Jewish law, he did not envision the Talmud as the central text. He argued that it was a spiritual error to view the Talmud as the only text worthy of study. In fact, in his introduction to the Ein Yaakov, Ibn Khaviv expresses his discomfort with the study of law codes in particular, which focus only on the legal aspects of the Talmud to the exclusion of its Agadic texts. In Ibn Khaviv's mind, the loss of focus on Agadah generated by the study of codes was about the loss of the Talmud itself. For him, Agadah was an integral part of what made the Talmud the Talmud. For him, without a collection of Agadah to match a code like Alfasi's, which was also organized to follow the editorial structure of the tractates of the Talmud, the messages contained within the Agadot would be overlooked indefinitely. And these were messages of faith, messages that contained theological perspectives necessary for cultivating the spiritually whole feeling and believing Jew. Indeed, until Ibn Khabib's Ein Yaakov, no one had attempted to produce a Talmudic agudic equivalent to Alfasi's code with the goal of rebalancing Talmudic tradition. No one had directly challenged the codificatory endeavors like Alfasi's from the perspective of its effect on Agadah in quite the same way as Ibn Khabib. 
It seems that for him, the Talmud and Judaism had been sold short when its agudic sections were ignored, and this called for a corrective. Ibn Khabib would expect that his Ein Yaakov, organized as a Talmud lookalike, would be studied in much the same way as the Talmud itself. Additionally, the ensuing critique of the Talmud involved far more than the production of legal codes. The debate over the centrality of the Talmud also came to include philosophy and Kabbalah. It bothered Ibn Khabib that philosophers in particular thought about God outside the lens of the texts of the Talmud and turned to Aristotelian philosophy. That too called for a corrective. Ibn Khabib's interest in spiritual matters and specifically in faith did not lead him to philosophy or even to Kabbalah. Instead, his spiritual concerns led him directly to the Talmud. The image of the Talmud as a work primarily of halakha, not to mention the fact that many felt the need to explore the non-Talmudic disciplines of philosophy and or Kabbalah in order to engender a relationship with God, left Ibn Khabib with the sense that something had gone awry in the development of the curriculum of Jewish study, especially with respect to theological matters. In his commentary, Ibn Khabib explicitly lambasts those who were overly involved in the study of philosophy. Furthermore, Kabbalistic esotericism did not inform his textual analyses. Ibn Khabib could not conceive of theology outside of the Talmud. To him, Jewish theology was rabbinic theology. They were one and the same. For this reason, the only system that Ibn Khabib embraced was that of the Talmud. It, and only it, governed the order and content of his interpretations. But to move from the intellectual crisis that he perceived was taking place in rabbinic culture and toward the theological crisis of his day, I must mention that Ibn Khabib arrived in Salonika at the beginning of the 16th century following years of dislocation that were set in motion by the expulsion of the Jews from Spain to face a community questioning its past. They wanted to understand why this enormous wrath had occurred to them. Unlike his contemporaries, Ibn Khabib made no attempt to explain away the travails that he had encountered or that his community had faced in his commentary on the Ein Yaakov. Instead, a sense of optimism pervades. Refusing to look backward by specifically naming and describing the traumas of his past, he searches for ways to strengthen the faith of his present community. At the precise time when many were trying to make theological sense of their past experiences, Ibn Khabib took a strong interest in reminding his constituency that the Talmud contained messages of faith. At a time when history had proven that the survival of Jewish identity did not necessarily depend on the performance of commandments through conversos who began to return to Judaism, but rather on the strength of one's faith, the Ein Yaakov represented a fitting means for cultivating believing Jews. But how was Ibn Khabib to accomplish this goal? How can a text inspire? How can a text lead one to faith? Indeed, as a Talmudic commentator, the operative question for Ibn Khabib was not, what does the text say, as Rashi had asked, or to concern himself as Tosafot did with resolving textual contradictions in the texts of the Talmud. For Ibn Khabib, the question was, what does this text say to us? What does this text mean for us? In what way is it relevant to us? It is precisely this message that I hope my students at JTS and its graduates think strongly about as they read my book 
in the context of examining their present and future roles as communal leaders.